Hey, I'm Rivka. I'm a health coach and your guide to a more balanced, healthy lifestyle. And I'm Ida, mental health awareness advocate and ADD coach. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We're mumtrepreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber, where we were both inspired by how much we learned from each other's life experiences. We decided then and there to create this platform to invite you to join in our conversation and discover the joy of growth and personal transformation. We'll share the practical and valuable tools, tips, and shortcuts that may have taken us a little longer to learn. Yes, by combining our shared knowledge and expertise and the things that we do to bring more clarity and focus into our lives in mind, body, and soul. Join us in building a strong and supportive network of women who ignite positive change from the inside out. Hi there. Hello, everyone. Hi, Rivka. How are you doing? I'm Early doing this good. morning. Uh, well, here we are again, ready to have a meaningful conversation in the wee hours of the morning. That's when Ida and I function best. Yes, the 5 a.m. club is alive and well. One of the perks of being up this early in the morning is also the fact that I get to see Ida's Florida sunrise from here in my Brooklyn home over Skype. Yeah, I only wish you could be here to see it in person. It's really incredible. It is. Well, I was lucky enough to see it a few months ago, and it was so beautiful. It would be easy to take my mind to a place of wonder, like, would my life be better if I got to witness that beautiful sunrise every morning in sunny Florida compared to my Brooklyn back porch with a back garden just about the size to fit our car? (laughs) There are some beautiful flowers blooming on a big tree out back and the birds are chirping. So that's good. (laughs) I actually don't even, I don't have a yard, so I have the view, but no, but no backyard. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. This leads us to our topic for today, which is the grass is greener on the other side. And we decided on this topic last week. And on that day, it was my sister's 27th birthday. We did a family Zoom call and my sister asked each of us to share something we learned at that age. I actually love that idea. It's like Maybe I'll do that on my next birthday. Yeah, you should. Uh, although hopefully by then it'll be in person and not on a Zoom call. Yes, I agree. She's my baby sister and she loves learning from her older siblings. And it's funny because you and I had just discussed the topic right before the Zoom call and it dawned on me that it was around that age that I started to genuinely internalize that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And that's the advice that I gave my sister that I learned at age 27. By that age, I had already had the experience of living in a few different places. I'm from Australia. I guess you can hear from my accent. (laughs) Which I love. Where my parents, grandparents, and most of my family live. We lived there for five years after we got married, where I had my first three children, my daughters. We had a beautiful garden with green, green grass and many other physically awesome things. But I wasn't happy within myself. And we ended up moving. It was one of the hardest things we did and felt like the biggest struggle. But ultimately, I grew from it and learned from it. Wow, it must have been hard leaving and like leaving everything that's familiar to you. Yes, I really left everything I knew for what I needed to be. That was where I was able to grow. We also lived where Ida lives now in Florida for a year and then moved to where we are now for many years in Brooklyn, New York. And I learned that every place has its pros and cons. Like Florida seems amazing from a distance, especially here in the winter. It's a place where you feel like, hey, I want to move to Florida. And there (laughs) is indeed indeed what to appreciate, but there are physically hard things too about living there, like 
I found one hot season all year round tough. Do you like the one season? How do you feel about yeah. that? Yeah. Okay. We try to leave in the summertime, but sometimes it'll get really, really hot and humid here. And it's definitely uncomfortable. It's, it's one of the disadvantages, I guess, of, of living in a climate like the one we live in. So yeah. I learned that it's not about the actual grass. It's how we nurture our grass. So yes, the grass can be greener on the other side when we are not feeling fulfilled on the inside. I had so much grass living in these other places. And ironically, now living in Brooklyn, I ain't got that much green grass. But the green grass that I do have, I love, I nurture, I have grown to appreciate the amazing things about where I live. And most importantly, have worked on myself together with my family, which made me realize the flip side, which is our title today. I actually can still remember the year that a light switch kind of turned on in my mind. And I was actually 27, which is interesting because same age as your sister. I should probably share this with her. Yeah, you should. (laughs) Well, I'm sure Um, she will be listening to this podcast. Hey, Ray. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Okay. And, but really, I feel like it speaks to most people. You know, when I say a light switch was turned on, what I mean is, you know, when you're trying to figure something out and you can't, and you're having such a hard time wrapping your head around something, and then suddenly you get it. You know, it's like what Oprah would call an aha moment. And for me, that was manifested in that, like for years, I heard this word potential from my teachers and somehow it felt so out of reach. You know, for example, like it took me three to four hours sometimes to finish something that would take another person maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And it was almost like I didn't quite get the memo. You know, it took many years for me to realize, and actually it happened in a class in college when I took introduction to psychology and I learned about ADHD. And that's when the light switch kind of turned on. Did you realize at that time that you had this epiphany or that your light switch was turned on? Because sometimes later on you realize, hey, that's when that happened, you know? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, it's it's so interesting that you bring that up because I feel like when people say like I had an aha moment, in one moment, my entire life changed. That almost sounds like near impossible. Like how does your whole life change in an instant? But I guess what, what an aha moment really means is the beginning of the realization that things can be different. Um, But I feel like the real crux of this story is not so much that I discovered I had a specific diagnosis, but it was more the work that I had to do to undo all the, you know, negative messages that I internalized as a child growing up, comparing myself to other people. And I feel like so many of us are internalizing negative messages. You know, this is not the answer. You know, there are, there are ways to overcome the things that hold us back. And especially as it relates to comparing ourselves to other people, you know, the light switch was being asked by my daughter's preschool if I could speak. And I just kind of felt like, well, there are these other experts who know more than I do. Why are they asking me? And so knowing that they were, I had, (laughs) yeah, but, but at that point, I kind of, (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, I guess in hindsight now, yeah, I mean, if had they not asked me, I don't know that I would be here today because that was really like the, the initial step. I had seen something in Pirkei Avais in, in Ethics of Our Fathers about she or he who is wise is someone who can learn from, from anyone. So I thought, you know what, let me share what I know. And worst case scenario, it won't be amazing, but at least I'll know that I will have tried. And that was when I realized if you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, you'll deprive yourself of the opportunity to discover what you're really capable of. As you're talking, I'm thinking about you as a child, and it must have been really hard for you to feel different and misunderstood. It makes me think about my clients. I often hear from clients, especially teenagers, who are always surrounded by their friends and often comparing themselves 
to them because it's only human and natural to do so. And I'll hear them say things like, I could never look as thin as my friend, or it's so easy for them. They can eat whatever they want and never gain a pound. And I get it because I used to have those kinds of thoughts. And like you, Ida, and my clients felt different and alone in my struggle till I decided it wasn't doing me any good to feel sorry for myself. It just kept me stuck in one place, not the place that I wanted to be in at all. And I tell my teenage clients, no one is like you. Build on what God has given you as an individual. Think of the things that you'd like to change, even if it may seem a little harder than your friend who may not have that struggle, but she may have something else to work on that you don't. Be the best version of you. The struggle I had with weight ended up being my strength. It led me to do what I do now as a health coach. This was only by both accepting the struggle, that it was real, and accepting who I was. And then once you do that, you can work on growing and you can start to see that everything that hurts you strengthens you. Start small, keep your word. The smallest changes are important. Acknowledge them and only compare your growth to the place where you started at. Then you will be able to look at yourself in the mirror, not at someone else, and smile with pride and joy. And that's what I tell my clients. And whenever I tell them this, I share this quote as well by Professor Jordan Peterson. It's his fourth rule of his 12 rules for life. Compare yourself only to who you were yesterday, not to what someone else is today. I love that. The greatest gift we can give to our youth, to the next generation, is to teach them and to educate them and to show them that they are not alone. And we know this to be true because we know this from research, that social comparison is universal. It's a universal tendency and that we're conditioned to compare ourselves to determine our worth and that's often based on how it stacks up against others. That helps us with our self-evaluation. When we're born, we're measured to determine where we fall on the chart compared to others. And our doctors tell our parents where we fall on the growth chart. And our teachers remind us of how our school performance is compared to others. And we most likely have some competition in our families too, like who's better behaved and who's the smart one and who's the pretty one and who's the one who's a hustler and going places. And in this regard, it's very important to be aware of this phenomenon. Don't you think toddlers are our greatest teachers? Like if you follow them around, you'll notice they don't worry about how they will be perceived. They will play with kids who are bigger, smarter, richer. Then they grow older and start hearing, look at how well she cleaned up. Let's see who can jump higher, run faster, be better. We begin to process these messages about how we fare compared to others. Absolutely. I love toddlers. You see, yeah, you see a toddler. You see a toddler. That's in why the I park. had so many kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then they became teenagers, and you're like, "What? Yeah, what happened?" I know. No, I'm kidding. We love our teenagers no, too. Yes, but it's, exactly. It's, it's true. You know, we start off free, and then we slowly but surely start surrounding ourselves not on purpose, but by messages that tell us that we should be losing more weight and making more money. And we think that happiness is found only if we fill in the blanks. If only I could just, you know, get to that next level. And it, it becomes like a, a hamster wheel where it's just never enough. We keep, we keep on going and going and we're really getting nowhere. This is where Hasidus offers so much insight and perspective. When it talks about the life of a matriarch Sarah, she had a rough life, yet Rashi says all of her years were equal for goodness. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe asks, what does that mean that all of her years were equal for goodness? She had a lot of struggles in her life with ups and downs. How could they have all been equally good? This is because it's not about what happened to her. It was about how she reacted to her life, her faith and connection to Hashem and her attitude towards 
what God gave her. And like Rabbi Shastaub says, we don't have control over how life treats us, but we have control over our choices and how we treat life. Which also reminds me of President JFK's flip on how we should view our countries. It's ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Yes, the power is <laughs> in your hands. Be the change you want to see. I feel like it's so much harder today, though, than it was for you know, us back when we were teenagers. And one thing I hear so often is, yeah, I'm getting off social media. It's not good for my self-esteem. And, and I understand that. But I really believe, and I know that some people will disagree, but I feel like social media it's all neutral and we have the power of choice and our choice will determine what we make of it. You know, there's really an exacerbation of all kinds of mental health problems that stem yeah. from social media, but it has also given us a medium for sharing valuable information and sharing resources. Like it keeps us connected to our friends who we wouldn't otherwise be connected to. But the bottom line is it really allows us to determine how we want to use it. Minus the targeted ads that kind of creep me out. But um, <laughs> but really, oh, there, I heard a beautiful story about the Rebbe, where a couple comes to the Rebbe with their little daughters tagging along. And the girl looks like she wants to ask him a question. So he turns to her and he says, go ahead, ask the question. And she asked the Rebbe, do you think that atomic energy is good or bad? And the Rebbe answered, you have a kitchen and in the kitchen, there are knives. Are the knives good or bad? And she says, it depends what it's used for. And then she understood. That the you know, same and, is true and, for technology. Yeah, this is an age, it's an age old. It's a great story. Um, yeah. Analogy where it's not the what, it's the how, you know, how do you, how are you going to use it? The research does highlight how people who do routinely compare themselves to others will experience higher levels of dissatisfaction and negative feelings and resentment and even poorer physical health compared to those who don't. But really the question is, how do we know when comparison is good and when it isn't? How do we know? That's the core question. Yeah. And it's amazing how age-old wisdom discusses this concept. There's a Hayom Yom, which is daily Hasidic teachings. And in the month of Sivan, it says, one who is Sameach Bechalka, one who is happy with what he has, is an individual of the highest quality. It applies in physical and material things like a car, a house. It can also apply to physical things like comparing a marriage, children, things that have to do with how life is treating us. And it also says through work, one can achieve this, to be grateful for what we have physically and not to look at others. But when it comes to spiritual things like our prayer, our connection to Hashem, our learning, our emotional growth, our giving and kindness to others, then we should definitely look at what other people are doing and see how they are doing better than us. And we can be jealous and we can say to ourselves, why am I not doing as well as this person I'm looking at? And in this light, the grass could very well be greener on the other side. That's such a beautiful and meaningful perspective. You know, is there a way to filter out our negative thoughts that stem from always comparing ourselves to others? I reached out to one of my friends in Sfat in Israel, her name is Rifki Kaplan, and she's a teacher in many schools. And she said the Alter Rebbe talks about dealing with negative thoughts. It's not about not thinking about the negative thought, rather to invite positive thoughts, focus on the gifts and the gratitude and appreciate what it is that Hashem has given us and that he has given us every single thing we need to be the best version of ourselves. And when we tap into that, it will create happiness. And she shared with me two ways that you can do that, and very much related to you and I, Ida, and what we do in our careers. First of all, showing gratitude for what we have. 
we do food journaling where we write down every day what we eat. It's a way to keep my clients accountable to themselves and to me. And I started this concept of writing three things that we are grateful for in the beginning of the food journal. And that I actually got from you. You, you have a, a book you came out with where one of the things that you get people to incorporate is writing down things that they're grateful for. Right. I'm very big on that. It creates a positive energy and start to your day. When we look for positivity, it invites even more positivity. And the second thing would be that when we do feel sorry for ourselves or envious, we need to step out of ourselves. And a beautiful way to step out of ourselves would be to do something for somebody else. And the magic of doing something for somebody else is that we fill our minds and our time with something positive. So if we're feeling like we don't have enough, reach out to somebody else because we all have some kind of wealth that we can share. Talent, knowledge, words, writing, painting, creativity. When we do this, we will feel wealthy and happy. And the whole notion of the grass is greener on the other side should feel more foreign and distant. You know, it's so ironic and interesting that you mentioned that if we feel like we don't have enough, we should reach out and use our talents to help other people. But what normally holds us back from doing that is the feeling that we're not enough. Many of us have talents that we kind of keep quiet and don't want to share because we're afraid of, well, you know, what if there's someone out there who does it better than I do. And I don't want to make a fool of myself or whatever it is. And we know that from psychology and age old wisdom, if we have a talent and we don't use it, you know, not only are we depriving ourselves, but we're depriving the world of something that they could potentially benefit from. So if we shift our mindset and shift our perspective to wait a minute, this is not about me. It's about doing my part in the world to make a difference. Then it becomes a lot easier to take our talents and to nurture them and to share them with the world. So and that's kind of, great because yeah. we have two ways to step out of ourselves, in right. thought and in action, in doing exactly. something positive and in thought. So that's really right. cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. on the thought of bringing more positivity, which feeds more positivity, is something I implement in guiding my clients towards a healthy lifestyle. There's this concept I use called crowding out. It's all about adding more to your diet rather than taking away from it. So bringing in the healthy, nourishing foods instead of comparing a list of good foods to buy and bad foods to avoid, which ends up turning so many people off nutrition. With this positive approach, the more we bring in the nourishment, fill our bodies with healthy foods, the more it crowds out the foods that aren't good for us. Our bodies can only handle so much. So the more we surround ourselves with healthy foods, it is only natural that cravings for unhealthy foods will lessen. And we can still enjoy those occasional indulgences from time to time. We are just less likely to constantly look elsewhere and crave it. Instead, we appreciate and enjoy what we have in front of us. Well, I'll give you one example with water. Ida and I have our Fiji water right here. Hello. Yes, we do. <laughs> I got her hooked on Fiji water. <laughs> well, guess what, guys? I used to love Diet Coke and drink it all the time. I know. Shocking. It was mainly because it was zero calories and I was very focused on calories rather than eating healthily when I was at my yo-yo dieting stage. But when I made my focus healthy living, I started drinking water. And by bringing water into my life, it made less room for the Diet Coke. I also started feeling the difference of how water made me feel so much more energetic, less hungry. It gave me a glow in my skin. And these feelings made me want to stick with it and slowly crowded out Diet Coke. That's interesting. So we know the things that we need to do to change. But then what lies beneath our susceptibility to engage in comparison to begin with? So what's really going on beneath the surface? And... If, you know, if you think about the areas in which you compare yourself to others, you might notice that 
the specific area in which you're comparing a lot, you might be a little bit more insecure, um, which means that like you place a higher value in that area than you would in other areas. So case in point, like it's rare that an athlete will compare themselves to a doctor unless at some point they want to become one. Right. Like how, how often will you see a musician compare themselves to contractors or, or teenagers comparing themselves to senior citizens? Like almost never, you know, musician will compare himself or herself to, uh, to another musician. So we all have our, what I like to call currency. And it's a term I saw in a book a while back. And and I don't mean the money kind. I mean, it's the currency is the value that we assign to our sense of self. So for example, if a girl needs to get good grades and spends a lot of her time studying, her currency is most likely intellect, right? So she'll want to be at the top of her class and she might even peek at the test grades of others to see how her test grades compare with, with theirs. And this is a concept actually in psychology that's referred to as social comparison theory, where humans have a basic drive to evaluate themselves in comparison to others. So we'll, and we'll compare up and we'll compare down. So what's interesting about this is that it's not inherently bad to compare, whether you're comparing up or comparing down. And I love this concept of what is your currency. And I'm just trying to think of example. You tell me if I'm right. So comparing up, it could go two ways. Like you could think, wow, look how amazing this person is. I'm inspired by them. Or this can be self-motivating. The other way would be, this person is so much better than me. I'll never measure up. Yeah, so would that be? Exactly. Like, But one is coming from a negative space. One is coming right. from more positive self-concept. You can look up to someone who might be better than you in a certain area and be inspired by them. Or you can say, oh, this person's amazing. I'll never be able to do what they do. Right. So that's called comparing up. You know, and then there's comparing down. You're comparing down when you're looking at someone who has less than you do. And depending on your perspective and your frame of mind, you could either be looking down on them and saying, ooh, that, look how bad that person is to make yourself feel better about yourself. Right. But ultimately, that... it doesn't make you feel better about yourself. Exactly. Like yeah. saying someone is dumb is not making you smarter. And saying right. someone is not attractive is not making you more attractive. And that's something that many of us don't fully grasp when some people compare down in a healthier way in the, in the sense that yes this person has less than me and, and I feel grateful that I'm not having to deal with this particular struggle and that's coming from right. a healthier place which is so, okay right so what you're saying is acknowledge what your currency is and when you look at that other person look at them more like a mentor like someone you're looking up to like what can I learn from that person instead of like I can never get there or, or bringing them down because you feel bad about yourself. Exactly. And that's an ideal state. Unfortunately, we're much more likely to engage in the negative kind. And that's why many of us live in what we call a scarcity mindset, which means that we will reach a goal, let's say, and we'll just keep wanting to reach the next one, and the next one and upgrade. You know, we want that new car and that bigger house. And, and it's again, like we said earlier, like a hamster wheel where it's never enough because we're constantly comparing in the wrong way because comparison is not bad. It's the way we compare that's that can hold us back. But the good news is that we can change that. I feel like if it was just less about the externals and more about the things that we can control, it would make such a huge difference in our collective well-being. And I heard this great example in an interview with Diane Sawyer with Oprah. She was asked about her experience as a child growing up, what led her to become so into journalism and interested in other people and become this huge success. And she said that when she was a child at the dinner table, her father or one of her parents Instead of asking them, well, what did you learn today? They would ask them, what questions did you ask? Think about how uh, much more empowering it is to say, what questions did you ask? 
This story with Diane is really in line with a lot of our conversations here today. It's all perspective, looking at it from the flip side in order to blossom. And this is why we titled this episode, The Grass is Greener on the Other Side. It's a perspective shift in the way we understand the whole concept of the grass being greener on the other side. It's not about what life brings to me. It's about what I bring to the table. Right, exactly. Like, what is the lens through which I am viewing the world? I truly believe that a rising tide will raise all ships in the harbor. Meaning, if we compare ourselves to others from a growth mindset and take inspiration from the people around us and know that someone else's wins can be our wins too, this is not a zero sum game. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, a zero sum game is when there's not enough to go around and we feel like somebody else's gain is our loss. And one person's win can be all of our wins. Let's be happy for each other instead of living in a scarcity mindset where it's where there's never enough to go around. We'll all be better off. Yeah. We can we can look at someone else's grass with envy on a spiritual level. In fact, that would be a good thing. This means we are internalizing that we want to be more authentic and connected and learn from them rather than being envious of things we can't control and physical things like wealth, beauty, and other externalities. Right. What we realized through both our experiences is that struggles can be our greatest gifts and that if we're mindful of when we're being triggered and when we find ourselves in negative space, then we can really learn how to step outside ourselves and recognize that no matter what our experiences are, we have the power to change the way we view the world and to actually be the change that we want to see. A person who is wealthy is one who is happy with what they have. Remember, compare yourself only to who you were yesterday, not to what someone else is today. Don't waste your time trying to be someone else. That person is already taken. Exactly. And happiness is an inside job. Till next time, guys. <laughs>